Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so glad that you are all here for the opening day of Sophie's Shoe Store. My goodness. Wait, wait. I've got to find the key. Oh, here it is. I've got to unlock the door. This is my very first day. You are my first customers. Here we go. Oh, come on in. Come on in to Sophie's Shoe Store. You know, my name is Cindy Lou Bobson. My name is, is Cindy Lou Bobson, but I didn't really want to call it Cindy Shoe Store, so I call it Sophie Shoe Store. It's kind of continental, don't you think? I, I like that name a lot. And, I, you know, let me tell you, I've got shoes for all kinds of people. Now, for ladies, we have these boots. These are not bad. See, they're, they're flat-soled, and they, they help you walk in the snow. But then up there, we've got boots that ladies buy for what I don't know. <laughs> they have high heels. You get out in the ice in those boots, you are lost. You are lost. For the men, we have work boots. Would you believe that if you saw men wearing these, you wouldn't think he was going to a dance, would you? You would know that he was going to work. These are work boots. I really like these. These are well-worn. I just imagine I bought these for a dollar at Salvation Army. I can imagine that some young woman was wearing these shoes when her young man asked her to marry him. Can't you just see that? And she danced the night away in these shoes. Now, if I put these shoes on, they are my size. If I put them on, you would all think I'd really lost it, wouldn't you? <laughs> and up here, we have comfy shoes. Now, these shoes are perfect if you're going to go on an airplane because they slip on and off at security. But not only do they slip on and off, there's a little thing back here. And if you put your other foot in that hole and you flip it just right, it comes off your foot, goes up into the bin, and you don't have to bend over. <laughs> Can't ask for anything better than that, can you? And the last ones I'll show you, the young lady that let me borrow these to show you today because they haven't come into stock yet. She said, you're not going to try to wear them, are you, because that would not be good. But when you look at a person's shoes, like slippers, you think they're going to bed, right? I'll go to the stop and shop. You'll see not everybody in slippers going to bed, but you make believe. So when we look at shoes, we, we learn something about a person. I want you to close your eyes. I'm not throwing anything, I promise. Close your eyes and tell me what kind of shoe the person next to you is wearing. Do you know? Did you notice? Okay, husbands, what's your wife wearing for shoes today? Mom and dad, what are your kids wearing for shoes today? You can open your eyes. We just we know that shoes are used for different things, but we don't always determine who a person is by their shoes, do we? Now, I'd like to have those kind people who are going to help me out come pass out coupons. I have coupons for Sophie's Shoe Store. All the ladies need to take a yellow card, and all the men... Take an orange card. 
and you just hold on to them. But these are your coupons for Sophie's Shoe Store. Say that three times fast. Sophie's Shoe Store. Oh, I hear the delivery truck coming in the back. I've got to run and let him in the back door. So you just continue to browse, continue to get your coupons, and enjoy my shoe store. During the Bible times, the main mode of transportation was walking. You walked anywhere you wanted to walk. I am still amazed when I read of Paul's journeys and I think of all the miles that man walked. And he walked those miles on hard dirt roads with rocks. When it rained, he was probably splashing through puddles up to his knees. And when it was so dry because it was the, the time when there was no rain, the dust was flying everywhere. Their sandals that they walked with were made of leather soles and leather thongs that tied them to their feet. They weren't exactly sturdy. They weren't Birkenstocks. You know, they were just sandals. Now, sandals were worn outside the house to conduct business. When you got to the home, you removed your sandals before you went inside. That's why there always had to be a lowly servant whose only assignment was to help you take off your sandals, to wash your dirty feet, and let you into the house, whether you were a guest or a resident of the house. Now, at mealtime, they ate with their feet uncovered. So obviously, it's important that you wash your feet because it's a little hard to smell what dinner smells like when everybody's sitting at the table with dirty feet. If you've ever been near my grandson Jacob when he takes off his shoes, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it is really rank when that boy takes off his shoes. If you were outside of your home and you did not have your sandals on, you were barefoot, which a lot of you like to do nowadays, but back then it signified that you were poor, that you were vulnerable. It signified that you were under the judgment of God or you were in mourning, there was something tragic happening in your life if you could not put sandals on your feet. It indicated humility and vulnerability. Now, if you were walking down the street and someone of importance started coming towards you, you'd reach down and take your sandals off. It's just what they did because the sandal represented what a person was, represented his rank in society, represented what he did with his life, what he had accomplished, what he was going to accomplish. So you would take your sandals off to walk by this person because you were showing reverence and respect to him. Now this I found interesting. Everyday events for the Jewish people, everyday events were done to the glory of God. Everything they did was done to the glory of God, including putting on and taking off their sandals. So there was a procedure for putting on your sandals. The right sandal is slipped on first, and then the left one. Now the left sandal is tied first because on the left side is where you wore the small leather box that included the instructions given to the Hebrews after they left 
Egypt, and it's recorded in Deuteronomy 6. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Then when you take the shoes off, you have to reverse the whole project. Procedure. You have to reverse the whole procedure. It is believed that this custom is based on the fact that the right side was more important than the left side. Now that's why when you had a special guest in your home, he sat on the right side of the host. That's why today you extend the right hand of fellowship. That's why Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the right side. So the right foot could never be uncovered while the left foot is covered. Can you imagine having such a procedure for putting on shoes? After I started studying this, I just watched myself. I always put the left shoe on first. I have no idea why. I always take it off first, too, just the way I do it. Maybe you don't even know which one you do. Just watch and see. <laughs> I actually have a habit of always doing the left one first. The sandal was always used to seal a contract. Now, if a woman is married to a man and he dies, his brother is obligated to marry this woman so that the brother's lineage can continue. But if this brother-in-law decides, nope, I'm not doing it, there's a ceremony for that. They prepare a special sandal for him that's made out of the skin of a kosher animal, and he ties it on his right foot. The widow puts her left hand on his right thigh, removes the shoe from his right foot, throws it on the ground, spits on the ground in front of the man, then the decree is read and he's, he doesn't have to marry her. So the shoe was very important in things that, you know, have you ever said to somebody, oh, let's seal a deal and take your shoe off and pass it to him? You know, in the book of Ruth, when Boaz went to the kinsman redeemer and he said, you know, you can, you're closer relative than I am and you can redeem the land of Elimelech, Elimelech, Naomi's husband. And he said, oh, yes, I'll do that, I'll do that. And Boaz says, oh, but hold on a moment. Ruth comes with the deal. And because Ruth doesn't have any children, you've got to give Ruth children, and then those children will inherit. I forgot her husband's name. What's Ruth's husband's name? Elimelech. Okay, I had him married to the wrong one. So anyway, <laughs> so... The kinsman redeemer said, oh, I can't do that. I've got so many wives now, there is no possible way I can take another wife. So he took off his sandal, he handed it to Boaz and said, this validates our transaction. I'm saying you can redeem the land and you can marry Ruth. So the sandal was really more than a fashion statement back then. It was an important part of a wardrobe when a man took off his sandals, he was taking off a part of his wardrobe that said who he was, that identified him to people around him. A portion of the Jewish Talmud states 
And this really blew me away. It states that it is better to purchase a pair of sandals than to replace the broken beam in your house roof. I don't know about you, but I'm not running to pay less when the roof has a leak. I'm going to Home Depot or Lowe's. But it was more important to them to have sandals than to replace a broken beam in their house. So now you get an idea that as much as shoes today tell us where we're going or what kind of thing we would do, you know, obviously, if you're going to play volleyball, you're not putting on high heels. You're putting on sneakers. But back then, it did more than that. The sandal identified the person, told the people what kind of person they were, told them if they were rich or poor, if they were high in society or low. Do you know that later on, the Roman soldiers were the only ones that were allowed to nail together three layers of soles on their shoes? Because of their status as soldiers, they could walk more comfortably than anybody else. So the sandals meant a lot. So now let's go look at Moses. Moses was a Hebrew boy. He was born to his mother at a time when Pharaoh had said to the midwives, whenever the Hebrew women have a boy, it is to be killed immediately. So Moses' mom had Moses hit him in the bulrushes. The Pharaoh's daughter came. She saved, um, she saved Moses. He grew up in the Pharaoh's palace. Moses is a Hebrew, but he grew up as an Egyptian with all the privileges and status of an Egyptian. But then something happened in Moses' life that would change his life. In chapter 2 of Exodus, it says, Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now the priest of Midian had seen, excuse me, had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. But some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. When the girls returned to Jethro, their father, he asked, Why are you back so soon today? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered. And then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Then where is he? Their father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. Moses accepted the invitation, and he settled there with him. In time, Jethro gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah, to be his wife. 
from living in Pharaoh's palace to being a shepherd in Midian. What a different life. Moses was used to having anything he wanted, anytime he wanted it. I can't imagine the type of sandals Moses wore. And now he's gone to be a shepherd. And he's hung his sandals in Midian. He's forgotten all about those Hebrews. He's forgotten that they're in slavery in Egypt. He doesn't care. He's happy. He's got his wife, his children. He's settling in. He's really happy. His sandals changed because Moses changed. Until in Exodus chapter 3, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. <laughs> this is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Why did God ask Moses to take off his sandals? Maybe God didn't like the style and didn't want to look at them? Was there a pan of water for Moses to cleanse his feet and cool them off? Had the ground changed from dirt, rock, and some grass to astroturf? Why did God ask Moses to take off his sandals? It's because Moses had to acknowledge the fact that he was standing in the presence of the holy God. And when Moses took off his shoes, he was taking off anything that he held as worth in his life. He was taking off anything that he was holding on to, and he was laying it to aside. So he stood vulnerable and humble in the presence of the Almighty God. What changed that area? It's the same place Moses had been taking his sheep to feed for years, for years. And this day, he sees a burning bush. Now, to see a burning bush in the desert <laughs> is not that hard to imagine since while I was in Ohio, we had a tornado thunderstorm and it was horrid and you saw fires all over town. But you know, a bush that doesn't burn up, there's no ashes flying, there's no cinders flying through the air. This bush is just consumed with fire. And Moses went to check it out, and that's when God said, Moses, take off your sandals, because I am here. You're in my presence. How awesome is that? Remember, Moses is pre-Jesus. Moses is before the ultimate sacrifice. And God himself not only spoke to Moses, but put his presence upon Moses. Now, get the difference there. God not only spoke, he filled Moses with his presence. And Moses fell to the ground, afraid, because he was seeing and hearing and feeling 
the presence of the Almighty God. The presence of God was not everywhere. In Exodus 25, the Lord tells Moses how to build the Ark of the Covenant. He tells him exactly how to build it. He tells him how to put the rings on the side so it can be carried with the poles. Tells him what to put in it. And he says to Moses, when the atonement cover is placed on the Ark, when the cherubims and the gold cover you really need to read this in Deuteronomy. It's so exciting. Excuse me, Exodus 25. It's so exciting what this ark looked like and how much gold there was and how much work there was to creating it. But God says, I will meet with you there and talk to you above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. God was saying, My presence is at the ark. So the ark is put in the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest can go to the ark. And and, and Moses would go into the tent, and God would speak to him, and Moses would come out, and his face would be so radiant that he had to put a veil over it because it would blind people to look at him because he'd been in the presence of God. (laughs) It's just astounding to me. Adam and Eve walked with God. But after the sin, that didn't happen like that anymore. But now Moses is in the presence of the holy God. He's on holy ground. And God is saying, this ark establishes my presence in the nation. As you move forward, there's records of battles that the Israelites lost because they didn't take the ark with them. The enemies captured the ark, took them to their city, set it up as a prize, and calamity hit their city. So they moved it on to the next city, and that city got hit with a plague. So they move it on to another city. The Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. The presence of God can bring encouragement, enlightenment, joy to those who treat it with the reverence it deserves. But to those who don't, To those who don't treat it with the reverence it preserves, it brings annihilation. It brings annihilation. So now we're up to modern day. Skip a few chapters. Where is the presence of God today? Do we have an Ark of the Covenant in a back closet here that only the pastor can go to? Is it just in this building? Is the presence of God limited to a place or a time of day? I want you to really think about this because this is what really hit me when I read Ephesians chapter 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing in the spiritual realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. In verse 19, it starts, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power 
that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. The church is his body. It's filled with Christ. What is the church? It's you and it's me. The church are not these chairs or this platform or the painted walls. The church is the people who believe and have confessed that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, and that he walks and fills them daily. The presence of God is in you. The presence of God is in you. You don't have to hunt for it. You don't have to put your left shoe on before your right shoe or your right shoe before your left shoe. You just have to acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge that where you go, so goes the presence of God. If you're standing over here, the presence of the God is here. If you're standing over here, God's presence is here. It can be a life-changing understanding if you allow it to. Does it mean you have to remove your shoes before you start doing that because I didn't bring my Febreze today? Keep your shoes on. But you do have to remove from your life anything that stands between you and God to fully sense his presence. Moses had to take off his sandals. Joshua was told the same thing. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. God's saying to you today, remove your sandals. Remove anything that stands in the way of my presence, filling you and being with you. This last uh, week, I was in Ohio with my older daughter. And I had some interesting flights, to say the least. I got on my first plane, got to Philadelphia just fine, landed at Concourse A, which I don't know if you've ever been to Philadelphia's airport. It's a city unto itself. My plane was at Concourse F. So they very nicely put me in a chair and an electric thing, and I get down to Concourse F. And I'm sitting there, and then I see it says, flight canceled. I'm supposed to leave at 2 o'clock. My flight is canceled. So I go up to the desk, and I said, um, I'm on that flight. She said, well, no, you're not. She was not the politest person in the world. She said, it is now 1.30. She said, the next flight leaves at 9 o'clock. Now, the man in front of me had argued with her, and I thought, I'm not going to argue with this lady. I just said, can I get on that flight? So they put me on a flight at 9 o'clock, spent eight hours walking through the airport, playing games on my tablet, watching a movie on my tablet, watching people, whatever I could do to pass the time. 9 o'clock, most of us from that first flight are all together, <laughs> sitting, waiting for this flight at 9 o'clock. The plane pulls in, the people get off, we think we're all set. At 9 o'clock, the attendant says, well, well, the flight's going to be a tad bit late. She said, I have no idea what a tad bit means. 
but the first officer didn't show up, so he can't fly. So we're sitting there, and they're out scourging, looking for a first officer. They finally find a first officer. He gets on. We take off. I was supposed to land in Ohio at 3 in the afternoon. I landed at 10 minutes to midnight. That was okay. I got there. My daughter had driven up to Cleveland. We stayed at a hotel. That was fine. But during that whole time, I had a peace that I would not have had in the past because I knew that I was standing on holy ground. I knew that I was right where God wanted me to be for that very moment. And I acknowledged his presence through the whole thing. Now, didn't jump up and down and shout hallelujah in the middle of the concourse. But I had a peace that, that only came from acknowledging the fact that the presence of God was right where I was. Now, when I got to Cleveland, we were on a bigger plane because they took all these flights and put them on one plane. When I got to Cleveland, I found out they canceled flights all day because of tornadoes. And that big plane I was on got tossed around in the air. I can't imagine what it had been like on that little tiny one I was supposed to be on. What a good God we have. Coming back, get on the plane in Cleveland, fine, get to Philadelphia. You know, my plane's supposed to land over here at F. It lands at B. I have to get to F. I get to F, and there's no plane at F9 where they told me to be. And the door's shut, and it says the next flight's to Boston. So I'm thinking, oh, man, I missed the flight. And I'm thinking, no, no, it can't be. Well, I thought I had missed the flight because in Cleveland, we sat for 45 minutes on the plane because the pilot had lost his laptop and didn't know where he was going. No lie. At this point, I feel like I'm living in a Disney movie. You know, it's just, it's hilarious. I am laughing. And the lady next to me started laughing. I said, what can we do? So we sat. Then that pilot got escorted off the plane, and another pilot got brought on, and we could take off. But as I was walking onto that plane, I looked down at the carpet, and I am not joking. On the carpet, in gold thread, was the ichthys, the fish. And it spoke to my heart and said, whatever this day holds, the presence of God is with you. And how awesome it is, how awesome it is to know that the presence of God walks with you. Now, to experience the presence of God, there might be some things you have to let go of. Maybe you like life too simple. Got to give it up. God doesn't promise life will be simple. Maybe you like life to be fancy and pretty all the time. not the way it is. Maybe you just want everybody to do everything for you. If your life is like that, please connect me. Not the way it is. Maybe you like life to be flashy. Or maybe this represents the, the fact that you want everything to be perfect with your children and your grandchildren. You don't want to have to go through the stru struggles of seventh and eighth grade with them. You don't want to have a diagnosis given that you don't want to deal with. You, you, just, you just don't want to. So you've dug your heels in and said, God, you can have everything but that. You've got to take off those shoes, take off those sandals. Whatever these sandals represent for you, on these coupons, now or later, 
take time to write in the back what sandal you need to take off. What is there in your life that you need to acknowledge? And you need to acknowledge that wherever your feet goes, so goes the presence of God. So when you're standing in the grocery line and you got that same clerk again who is so slow that you swear they've tied her arms behind her back and you're in a hurry and you want to get out of there and the man in front of you wants to pay in quarters, you're standing on holy ground. God has you there. Yeah, you chose the line, but God can use whatever you choose to bless you. You're standing in front of your boss, and your boss is reaming you out for the fourth time this week, telling you how worthless you are, and you can't do anything right, and what's the matter with you? And you're standing on holy ground. You're filled with the presence of God. Is it easy? No. But what encouragement to realize that no matter what he spews at you, you're standing there filled presence of the almighty God I, I, I don't know if this speaks to you the way it did to me when I started looking at it but it just amazes me to think that if I walk into a room of chaos I'm bringing the presence of God into that room and I'm not saying that in a prideful I'm going to hold up my Bible and say the presence of God is here everybody be quiet what I'm saying is you carry with you the presence of God, not only for yourself, but for those around you. You carry it so that you can give it out, so that people can sense his presence. Isn't that awesome? But there's a responsibility. There's a responsibility that goes with carrying the presence of God with you. King David decided to bring the ark back to the city of David, and he put it on a cart. God didn't say to put the ark in the cart. God said that the Levites were to carry it with the poles. David put it on a cart, and as it's going along, it starts to tilt. Uzzah reaches up, touches it, and drops dead. Because the presence of God was not revered and treated with the respect that it needs to be treated with. You need to respect each other, you need to respect yourself. But most of all, you need to stand in awesome reverence and wonder at the fact that the almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, who sent his son to die for you, that that God's presence lives within you. Is that not more exciting than anything you can think of? But you need to acknowledge it all day, every day. When I walked through the door, I sensed his presence. And I knew this was a place where love abounds. For you are God's temple, and God's presence abides within you. We are standing in his presence on holy ground. In his presence, I know there is joy beyond all measure, and at his feet, sweet peace of mind can still be found. For when we have a need, he is still the answer. We are standing in his presence 
on holy ground. We are standing on holy ground. And I know that there are angels all around. Let us praise Jesus now. We are standing in his presence on holy ground. If you have something this morning that you'd like to present to the Lord, that you'd like to say just Take my sandal, Jesus. Take my sandal and fill me. Take my pride. Take my anger. Take my hurt. Take my guilt. Take my shame. Take it all and fill me. Or if you've never met Jesus, you are missing out big time. (laughs) Jesus is the Son of God, and he loves you so much that he died for you, that he rose again, and he's just waiting for you to come to him. That's all. That's all it takes. And if you want someone to pray with you, just let us know. And there are people in this church who have powerful prayers. And if you want to pray alone, you can do that in your seat or here at the front. But would you stand with me and let's sing the chorus again? We are standing on holy ground and I that there are angels all around. Let us praise Jesus now. We are standing in his presence on standing on holy ground and I know that there are angels all around let us praise Jesus Sweet Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you abide within us. We thank you that wherever we go, you go. You go ahead of us and prepare the way. Jesus, we are so filled with awe at the fact that we are standing on holy ground, that we are protected before, behind, and on the sides by the Almighty God. We will walk in courage. We will walk in faith. We will proclaim your name. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that those that are standing here this morning with a deep need, that you will meet that need, whatever it is. Whether it's health or finances or relationship, medical diagnosis. Lord, we know. We know that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know, Jesus, 
that you want to perform the miracle of allowing us to be filled with the presence of God. And we ask for that this morning. We thank you for that. And we praise you. Amen.